Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 474. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Before we get started, I have a fabulous giveaway for listeners of the Slow Flowers podcast. I've been invited to present at the 2020 Tilth Conference, which will be virtual this year, taking place November 9th and 10th. I've waived my honorarium in exchange for having one free registration to a Slow Flowers member for a giveaway. One of the benefits of turning an in-person organic farming conference into a virtual one means that you don't have to be Pacific Northwest based to enter. Listen for details at the end of this episode uh, so you can enter the drawing. There's no denying that 2020 has been an insane year. I feel like the constant topics of conversation include resilience, reinvention, adaptation, innovation, not to mention pivoting or survival. Ugh. There's also no denying that many of you have, like me, been deeply moved by what's happening in our world, from social and racial justice to saving the planet, as well as keeping ourselves safe from the ever-present threat of contracting COVID. It has been so encouraging to hear from our guests throughout the past seven months who have generously shared their personal stories about resilience, flower farmers, florists, designers, and everyone touched by the wedding and events industry. The theme comes through in every episode, and I'm so grateful that the Slow Flowers podcast has been a place to convene these conversations in a respectful and thoughtful environment. The year is not over, especially as those of us in the U.S. are entering the final weeks of what I believe to be a life and death election season. Against the backdrop of taking action to change our world for a better place, I'm delighted to introduce you today to Stacy Brenner, flower farmer, nurse midwife, and candidate for Maine State Senate's 30th Congressional District. Stacy joined me last February in 2018 to discuss the theme of social entrepreneurship, and you can find the link to that episode in today's show notes at DebraPrinzing.com. You'll want to hear that story. Here's more about Stacy, and I've excerpted this from her Stacy for Senate About page. Stacy Brenner is an organic farmer and small business owner who co-founded and now operates Broad Turn Farm in Scarborough, Maine. 
Stacy is a graduate of the University of Arizona, where she studied agriculture and plant sciences. She holds two nursing degrees from the University of Pennsylvania. She spent her early working career as a nurse midwife, tending to the births of hundreds of babies at Mercy Hospital in Portland. She is a board member of Maine Farmland Trust and board vice president of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Organization, which has the acronym MAFCA. Raised in a working-class suburb in New Jersey, Stacy spent her childhood romanticizing country life. When she wasn't watching reruns of Little House on the Prairie, Stacy would escape the suburban chem lawns of her neighborhood to explore the wooded edges of the development with her brother. She always wanted to be a farmer. Like so many other folks from away, which is a Maine term for people not born there, she was drawn to the state of Maine by its verdant landscapes, its supportive business climate, its thriving agricultural network, and the amazing hardworking people she met. In 2002, Stacy, her five-year-old daughter Emma, and her husband John Bliss moved to Maine to become first-generation farmers. They entered the Mafka Farmer Journey Person Program, which was designed to support new entry growers, and they taught themselves how to be farmers. In 2006, Stacy and John opened Broad Turn Farm, which produces cut flowers and organic vegetables, hosts weddings, and runs a summer day camp focused on connecting youth with sustainable agriculture. Now employing 30 people at the height of the season, the farm is a thriving example of economic development on farmland protected with an agricultural easement funded in part by the Land for Maine's Future Program. I've been watching along on social media as Stacy's campaign for Maine State Senate has gained traction with amazing endorsements from a diverse group of supporters, including the Sierra Club, Maine Conservation Growers, Maine Education Association, several unions, Emily's List, Equality Maine, Planned Parenthood, and other groups. What follows is a fascinating discussion that, to me, at its core, Ask the question, what can one person do to make the world a safer, more equitable, inclusive, and healthy place for all? Stacy's path may not be your path, but I know you'll be inspired by the way she and John have chosen to operate Broad Turn Farm with a mission-focused approach that reflects their values. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm coming to you uh, long distance from Broadturn Farm in Maine, and my guest, Stacy Brenner. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Deborah. It's really great to see you. I should say Scarborough, Maine. That's where you, where Broadturn Farm is based, right? That's correct. Well, you're a past guest of this podcast, and I don't think, has John ever been on with you? I don't think so. Poor guy. We've we've left him off. No. <laughs> <laughs> he has a bad case of poison ivy right now, so he's oh, a little geez. uncomfortable. Oh my gosh! But he's he's the other strong half of uh, John Bliss, the other strong half of Broad Turn Farm. Um, well, it's really great to uh, have an excuse to interview you, and uh, you've got lots of news. But I, I just want to harken back to the fact that I remember meeting you in 2012 when the ASCFG conference was in Tacoma, Washington, and I just remember talking to you in a barn where there was a dinner up in Skagit Valley and realizing one of my good friends was a customer of yours, uh, Sherry Shambaugh. So, you know, it's just like, I feel like I've, um, you know, 
got an old friend talking to you. I can't believe that was eight years ago, Stacy. I know. I know. Oh my goodness. So at that time in 2012, how old was Broad Term Farm? Like when did you start? And like, you're kind of in the, in the mature farm camp right now, right? And I don't mean old. I mean, your farm is older. Right, right. We moved to Maine in 2001 to start farming. And we landed uh, after a few um, roles in other places at Broadturn Farm in 2006. Okay. Oh, wow. So you'd already and, and where did how did flowers factor into your your mix? Have you always just on flowers? Or did you have were you diversified in other ways? Well, no, we started primarily with produce. Um, I studied agriculture in college and John and I met over sort of this homesteading dream uh, at a wedding. Mm. How appropriate. (laughs) And um, so we moved to Maine and threw our lot in together. And at the time I was a single mom, I had a daughter already and I had just finished graduate school, um, my nursing graduate degree in nurse midwifery. So we moved to Maine to farm through the Mofka Journey Person Program. And we were really guided by this social justice mission to feed people and to um, run a business that was essentially a social entrepreneurship that would um, really engage people, uh, planet, and profit together. Yeah, I mean, that makes uh, really, and I said this in the email I sent to you, like, you're a pioneer. You were, you know, kind of modeling this before it was... I don't know, the newest wave of lifestyle, uh, you know, choices for people. It's great that it's attracting so many people, you know, the land and the idea of farming and um, regenerative agriculture is attracting so much attention right now. But this was something that was kind of a personal mission for you and John early on. Yeah. And we transitioned to flowers in um, earnest. Mm -hmm. So we, I was always growing flowers along with the produce as a plant geek. After a while, the plant families for produce can get a little boring mm-hmm. if you really just want to like experiment and do interesting things with plants. So the flowers kind of came into the mix. And then uh, when there was a, there was a confluence of events around the time that um, the ACA Obamacare came on board and it, it allowed us to hold on to employees mm. uh, who were over the age of 27 and wanted to make farming a bigger player in their life and have a career working with us together. So we ended up creating this sort of leadership team at the farm with our crew and um, the Affordable Care Act had a major role in allowing that to happen because up until that point, you know, we would lose people for the need to find a job that had employer-based health care. And unfortunately, agriculture at the scale to which we're working just does not provide enough it doesn't generate enough profit for us to provide health insurance for our employees or for ourselves for that matter. I mean, there were years with that where we didn't have health insurance. So um, ACA really helped our business a lot. And so that would have been right around that 2000 and um, I guess like 15, 14, Mm -hmm. 13, Mm -hmm. like when things really started taking off for the flower. Actually 12, we got a grant in 2012 to go to Tacoma to that conference and so, you know, things really started coming together for us at that point. Wow, that's interesting. I'm so glad you brought up the Affordable Care Act because it, it shows the, you know, the ripple effect of, you know, what seemed like really, you know, individual 
um, you know, in individual benefits really affecting small businesses as well. And you were able to then offer more of a career track to people who wanted to learn um, farming as a, as a business from you and John. Mm-hmm. And stick around and grow with us. Right, right. Um, and over the time, over the years, also Broad Turn Farm became an event venue. I think that last time you and I spoke, it was about the business of weddings. Um, I think maybe for an article on that ran in John, on Johnny's newsletter. I'm not sure. Oh, right, right. But um, can you talk a little bit about that? How that? How the? I mean, and COVID has obviously changed everything. So we'll get to that. But um, how had you integrated? You know flowers and the farm into, a, you know, creating another revenue stream uh, with, mm-hmm. for weddings. Yeah. So we started hosting weddings at the last farm that we were at um, on a whim. Someone approached us and asked, two men actually approached us mm. and asked if we would host their wedding and it was a blast. And then we did a few more and then we had our own wedding um, and it just kind of took off from there. And so when we moved here in 2006, um, it just sort of rolled in with us as part of our business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal had it's always been to have um, the opportunity to provide people with a space where they can have a farm um, centered, farm driven wedding experience from the food to the flowers to the just the atmosphere. Um, it's very experiential for folks. And it ha- I think what it does for a lot of our clients is it, you know, they as a couple, as a young couple, they have this value set that they want to profess to their families about what they believe in and what they care about and how important climate change is for them. And so choosing this as space as a venue for them and all that goes with it, um, I think provides a really meaningful and valuable values-based experience for them. Right. Um, wow. So that's been fun. And the yeah. flowers are, um, I mean, it's just so fun to do flowers here at the farm because we don't have to pack them and go anywhere. <laughs> so we can do like a little bit wilder, a little bit more crazy stuff. And That's so neat. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is the, do you work with caterers or like where you said that some of the food is actually from Broad Turn Farm as well? Yeah. So we still produce food um, and we work with a group of caterers who are committed to creating menus that are farm driven Mm -hmm. and uh, farm driven cuisine and that are local and seasonal and can really um, showcase what we're producing. Um, We're in the early stages. We have the, we have the drawings and the space kind of carved out for a new kitchen space that we're going to use to try to transition the food to uh, have a little more control over it. So mm-hmm. we're going to start putting our feelers out for a chef who wants to create a food program here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be really wonderful too. And you, your comment about wanting to control things, it makes me think of when we did talk about weddings, you had some like a really strong, uh, you know, kind of rule that you shared with me about, you know, even the fact that, uh, what type of dishes people could use because people wanted to do compostable um, utensils and plates. And you were kind of saying, Deborah, that they simply don't compost and we're stuck with them. Or what was, what is the rule actually? So it's a zero waste policy. So we, you know, it's kind of pack it in, pack it out. Uh, The idea being that, um, you know, over the years we would see people have these little miniature water bottles for every guest at the ceremony and every guest would take a sip. And then, you know, there's all these water bottles all over the, the hay field at the end of the um, ceremony that we're cleaning up. And it just started to get pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. And so we just decided that across the board, 
we could do this and people could have a fantastic day and their guests could be very comfortable and there could be a much lower amount of waste at the end of the experience. Right. Um, so right. we started to move towards the policy that everybody needs to rent uh, all of that glassware and plateware and everything. So it comes in and it goes out and it gets washed and it gets reused. Yeah. And actually the, it, it, in a way having a policy then is sort of gives you such clarity for, you know, all the people who are begging for alternative ideas because yeah. the labor of cleanup isn't necessarily, you're not, you can't predict what that waste is going to be otherwise. And your, your crew, you and your crew are spending hours just recovering from an event. So. Yeah. And I I mean, we, we go to the transfer station with garbage. (laughs) No, it's just like, you just don't want to show up. I I get very self-conscious. Like, like, it's not me. It was the bride. (laughs) Well, talking about weddings um, makes me want to ask you, what happened with COVID this year? Um, did you have a lot of events on the books and how, how have you responded to that? Yeah, it was pretty devastating for our little event, the event side of our business where we host things. Um, everything was canceled. Um, and we, our governor mandated that, um, events, uh, needed to be outdoors and no more than 50 people. Um, and that's been extended now to a hundred people, but, um, all of the things we had on the books were larger than that. So everybody, but one person was scheduled to 2021. Mm-hmm. So we moved them all over. Um, and many of them came around to the farm or to other places nearby to have small, um, intimate ceremonies with family and friends, um, just for the actual, getting married mm. wedding part. So um, you those just, were, did, did, were you able to host some of those mini mar- mini monies? Is that what they're called? Yeah. So we let people come and use the space um, who had already like had planned on being mm-hmm. here. Um, and there was a sunrise wedding that was really gorgeous. And then there were a few sunset weddings. Um, but it was just nice to be able to um, still play a part this year. And then again, hopefully next year as well in their celebration. So, but um yeah, that was a bit of a hit. Well, because yes, they're all being rescheduled, but they're taking dates that you could have had new bookings for 2021. I'm hearing this from a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. So it's, I mean, it's a, you definitely end up with a revenue loss in there. How did, um, were you working in healthcare when, because I know that you've had some off farm commitments working in midwifery. Tell me about how that factored in and did that affect, did COVID change things for you in on the healthcare side? Yeah. So it's been a little while since I have been um, actively engaged as a healthcare provider. I volunteer at a, a free clinic as a nurse midwife doing well woman exams for hmm. a number of years, but I've been out of full scope practice for about a decade. Um, I left in order to actually get this business rolling. Okay. Okay. Um, good. So, um, I, my daughter works at the local hospital as a RN on the um, labor and delivery and postpartum floor at Mercy Hospital Birthplace. So I call and I still have a bunch of friends there. And so when COVID hit, I was panicking about like, what could I do to be helpful? And um, so I called my friends over there and said, you know, if there's a shortage, if you hit a wall, let me know. Well, it, it turns out that there's like always a nursing shortage, wow. but um, particularly in spaces where um, there are specialty skills that are hard to learn 
um, I mean, they're not hard to learn, but it's hard to just jump in and be helpful if you yeah. don't already know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so they rolled me in and it's been fantastic. Really? I love being there. Um, it's work that I really enjoy, but you know, to go like when you're a business owner and then you do this other thing where you just go in and you just do the work and, you know, I go in, I get the babies on breast, I get them nursing, you know, I make moms comfortable and that's a punch in, punch out. It's great. <laughs> kind of joy inducing to think I, it's great. you have a big yeah. smile on your face, but also your, your daughter's working there. So how beautiful mm-hmm. that you get to see her more often. It's really and, fun. That's yeah. great. So are you continuing? Will that continue? Uh, or how are, how is that fitting into your other big news that you, that I wanted to talk oh, about? Yeah. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty, I'm a, I have a per diem position. So I'm there about once a week. Got and it. then once in a while, uh, they'll, you know, they won't, it, birth is one of these things where if they're not busy, they put me on call. And if they're busy, sometimes they'll call on a day when I'm not scheduled and ask me to come in. Sure. Um, so I try to be as flexible as I can. And in this as we move through our season, now that we're in the fall and the frost has happened, it's a little bit easier to be flexible. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping to stay there through the winter. And the reality is um, we, as a family, we need the money. Right. Right. I mean, the fact that you have this, this skill set that you could kind of reactivate in exchange for, you know, a, a paycheck is, is a blessing. That's amazing. Yeah. You know um, that feeling you had in March when, yeah. I mean, it, it was just a sense of like, of I have to do something that feels useful. And for whatever reason, at that moment, flowers and weddings did not feel like the most um, useful well, they, my time. yeah, I mean, the whole atmosphere of COVID was threatening flowers and weddings. And yeah. yet the healthcare, yeah. you know, demands were certainly... Um, I mean, that's wonderful. And and I was just thinking giving, bringing babies into the world and, and the fact what you made a comment about, you know, the schedule, like you can't predict when a baby's going to be born. You, it's very similar to farming in a way oh, where sure. these variables are out of your control and you've, yes. it, your, your, your personality just, if you're, if you can roll with it, like you're well suited to be uh, in a in a, uh, a hospital helping babies be you know or a ner- what is it a birth birthing center I guess uh, it's a hospital oh, okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I started seeing um, posts on social media probably Facebook about Stacy Brenner running for Maine State Senate <laughs> blew my mind and yet I was like of course let's get a competent woman to fix things. So, <laughs> so, uh, can we talk about this? I mean, this is, this is fascinating. When did you, when did you decide this and how did you make this all happen in this year against this whole backdrop we've just discussed? Yeah. So in December, a friend of mine who is a main Senator, um, who actually she it's okay that I say this despite HIPAA because she's I've heard her say it out loud but I was her midwife when she had her babies her baby Uh and and we've been um, business friends and and friends since but she came knocking one day and said we need someone from your district who's progressive um, to run for the democratic seat would you consider it and uh, I was like, mm, no. And then I'm like, you really don't have anybody else. <laughs> like looking at it, there's nobody else. Uh, and she just felt like um, having particularly a progressive voice in agriculture on the agricultural committee would be valuable. 
Um, and then also having a healthcare provider in the healthcare um, committee would be valuable as well. So um, we gave it a lot of, we knocked it around a lot as a family. Um, and like, I don't know how rebellious you were as a kid, but you know, I call my parents and my mom says, you should do it. And my dad says, oh, you don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That his, (laughs) I'm going to be contrarian. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, he probably said, don't, don't run for other reasons, like, you know, protective parental reasons. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. Is it, um, um, so the, the, your friend who's a Senator um, in the, who came to you, it must be in a different district then. Yeah, she's in Portland. Um, and so, you know, as I started talking to friends and, and thinking about it by January, we decided that, yeah, we, we could do this. And, it, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, what are you going to tell your kids when they're like, where were you, mom, when the planet was burning? Or where were you, mom, when they were eroding our reproductive rights? Like, mm-hmm. what am I going to say? I was watching Netflix and drinking wine. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I do those things, but mm-hmm. I can't, like... I got to do something. I mean, after 2016, I was reeling. We were in, um, we were in Michigan. We were, in fact, it's so weird you say that because I, last night, I mean, we're, we're recording this on, uh, September 30th, the day after the first presidential debate. And I texted, uh, Julio Fritas at the Flower Hat, and I said, "Oh my God, I remember vividly sitting in the lobby of that hotel in Grand Rapids, Michigan, talking to you on election night, and I'm just getting these horrible flashbacks." And uh, yeah, that's right. We were together in 2016 at ASCFG. Yeah, um, I was in a hotel room watching the returns with um, a handful of flower growers, um, Three Porch, and um, Gretel and Steve yeah. and Bailey Hale was in there mm-hmm. and uh, we were dumb. It, I mean, we were, we didn't know what to, to do with the information. We were all just dumbfounded. We're was, still trying to process that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, well, I don't know. We can just talk about this on the podcast. It's my podcast. I can say whatever I want, but um, <laughs> I, it was so, <laughs> so that we were, okay. Michigan's on Eastern time. Okay. So, I go into my hotel room at like 11 p.m. Eastern time. I call Bruce in Seattle, my husband, at 8 o'clock. And, you know, the polls had barely just closed in Seattle. And I'm sobbing. And I'm like, how could this happen? And he, you know, my husband's black. He has a completely different worldview of, from his, you know, like, you know, wife who's you know lived with white privilege her whole life and he's like what did you expect like of course of course people were going to vote for the antithesis of Barack Obama and uh I was you know I'm still like I said I am still trying to process that so good for you to say stop talking about it and do something right and so you actually announced that you were running for state senate prior to COVID then is that correct in our district, yes, we had a little party in January, and then we had our caucuses in March, um, and we had our primary in March. And actually, the last public thing I did was go to our caucuses and oh my speak goodness. publicly, and then everything shut down. Um, was that early? So the caucuses determined the um, who the Democratic nominee is for the position, right? 
Well, so it used to work that way, but then we transitioned from a caucus to a primary where we vote now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, uh, luckily I didn't have a primary opponent um, for the Democratic seat, um, which, I mean, some would say that's good and, and some would say it's nice to have the the um, choice, yeah. but I guess all they have now is me. <laughs> well, also it gives you maybe it gave you a, a longer, um, you know, ramp up time. Like you could That's really right. get your legs under you and figure That's out, right. you know, what you wanted to say to people um, over, you know, with, with your advisors and with your committee and all. So, right. Right. So, wow. Okay. So we're coming up on like less than five weeks away uh, from the election. And um, are you running against an incumbent or what's that all look like? No, the incumbent is retiring okay. and she's a fantastic woman, Linda Sanborn. She and I actually used to work together. She's a family physician and she would, she did, used to do deliveries at the hospital. So we would cross paths there as colleagues. Wow. Um, and I have, a, I have great admiration for her. Um, but I do have a Republican opponent in the general. Okay. And so how is Scarborough considered um, a suburb of Portland or are you farther outside of Portland? Yeah. So the district is sort of the next district over from Portland. It is, there's about 30,000 voters per district in Maine for the Senate districts. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so, but there, there is quite a bit of open land out here in terms of, um, what could happen agriculturally and what has, has happened and is happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, but I would say most people would look at the region as a suburb of Portland and most folks drive before COVID would drive to work. I see. Downtown. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a. am sure you have a mix of that agricultural type of, of farming voter, maybe a little more conservative. I don't know. And then this sort of, suburban voter who's, you know, maybe more, you know, white collar. I, I you know, what, what do you, how do you connect with the 30,000 people and, and share your vision for the district and for the state? Well, great. That is a great question. And I think we're trying to figure that out. Normally these down ballot races in Maine are run by knocking on doors mm. and connecting one-on-one with voters um, our campaign has opted not to do that because of the risk of spreading COVID. Um, and so we're phone banking and we're doing lots of, uh, postcards and mailers. Um, so it's a little different than I had anticipated. It's a little harder to reach people. Um, we're trying pretty, a pretty aggressive social media campaign. Um, and so hopefully, yeah. Yeah. And then the signs all just went up, which that's a weird (laughs) driving around and seeing your name around town. is kind of weird. It's kind of old fashioned in a way. Like that's maybe what people saw before there were even telephones. So, you know, it's wow. Um, Are you it sounds like you have a lot of volunteers who are supporting you with the phone calls and like people who really want to see uh, to see you in this seat. And I, I can understand why. I mean, if you, you are so principled and you have such a personal mission for, you know, progressive values that I, it's encouraging to know that you are running and that it, you are a female. I mean, even that is just, you know, I don't know what the makeup is of the Senate in in Maine, but um, it's, it's wonderful that, 
that I, I hope that it, it's successful for you. I mean, it's just oh, it, what an experience. Yeah. Right now, the Senate and the House and the governor seat are all Democratic. Mm -hmm. That's the first time in a while we had a, a pretty conservative governor for quite some time. Um, and so it's pretty, I think, crucial that we hold on to that majority um, at the state level, especially depending on what happens on the federal level. Right. Um, particularly around that Supreme Court nominee, we're looking down the barrel of needing to make sure that um, access to healthcare, access to reproductive healthcare, civil rights, um, all the issues that surround um, Black Lives Matter and um, equity and equality and racial justice, all those things we may end up seeing play out at the state level. And so it's, extremely important that the down ballot races are um, bringing as many progressive folks into the state houses around the country as possible so that when the Supreme Court transitions to a much more conservative space, which I, I don't want to admit that we're heading there, but I feel like if we don't, we're being naive right, right. Um, at this point. So yeah. we just really need to be thoughtful about being ready to protect those rights on the state level. Um, and it's, the fact that there's that there's democratic leadership in the state is that kind of reflect maybe a, a general shift in demographic or fingers crossed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, so Maine is so interesting. It's about a million and a half people statewide. Um, it's very small. Uh, it's a large geography with a small population, a much older population. Um, it is a slight. There's a slight slightly higher number of Democrats registered than Republicans. Um, and then there's an enormous group of un, undeclared voters, mm -hmm. un, undeclared. Mm -hmm. In our district for the Senate seat here in um, Scarborough, Gorham and Buxton, it's um, the, new, the new residents to town have been registering more frequently as Democrats. Mm -hmm. So that's reassuring. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking at the number of people pulling absentee ballots and we can see that they are, um, there's a higher number of Democrats pulling ballots. So that's helpful yeah. to just, to forecast. but there's no polling really in down ballot races. Um, and I'm running as a clean elections candidate, which in, is a, is a state specific program for folks that want to run elections where there can't be any um, outside and I can't receive any money from any outside um, organizations. Okay. So um, I can collect $535 donations from my constituents only. So folks that are registered to vote in my district and then the state disperses a, a sum of money to me to run my campaign. Um, and so that's nice because that cycle we're finished with. We were successful raising the money we needed to raise from our, our community. Five, um, $535 donations. That's right. That was your yeah. cap. That's it. So mm -hmm. Soul Flowers can't write you a donation check. <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure no, something but, else out, Stacey. <laughs> but I'll give you a list of like <laughs> Senate candidates that need. <laughs> Absolutely do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, well, yeah, is your we, opponent running on the clean election 
Uh, Interestingly, she is, which is unusual. Okay. Most Republicans in the state do not choose the clean elections program. Mm. And um, she's had a little trouble uh, reaching her goals. So we'll see what ends up happening. Okay. The deadline is the middle of October. So. Okay. Wow. So you're running but against it's a- nice to have it over and done with because then you have all the money to work with and you can get all your your ad buys in and your mailers out. And- oh, because the state like gives you a, a grant or a stipend or whatever once you hit your... Cap. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, then how can uh, how can the Soulflowers community help you? I mean, we're especially because most of the people listening to this do not live in your district and do not even live in the state. Well, I thought you'd never ask. Um, <laughs> so um, we're on social media, uh, Stacy for Maine, or excuse me, Stacy for Senate uh, on Facebook and Instagram. So if you can, if you want to follow, I'll along, share those. Or, yeah, I'll put those in the then, show notes. Yeah, always sharing posts and things like that is helpful. Um, and then the uh, we have a website, stacyformainsenate.com. And if you have any time in your schedule that you would be willing to make phone calls in the district for us, um, we could use all the hands um, calling folks wow. um, from now until election day. Okay. Um, and we kind of help you with that that list and, and, and how it all works. We can walk you through it. So you give a volunteer a list of names and phone numbers and a, a little bit of a script and just... That's correct. I mean, I think... Good old-fashioned phone banking. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I think that um, people in in the flower industry could speak very confidently about uh, your commitment to sustainability and, you know, to preserving agriculture as a as an economic engine. I mean, those things, even with, even not being in the state, I could, I feel like I could, you know, confidently talk about that. So I know others would be able to as well. Oh, thanks for that. Wow. So just people, people can reach out to you through your website. I I looked at your website and it was, I kept looking for a donate button and I didn't see it, but there was a volunteer button. There was a volunteer uh, or contact us button. Yeah. The donate button's gone. Oh, Stacy, I'm, I'm so I'm just so honored. It's an honor to talk to you and just to see that you're walking the talk and, and just your comment about what do you say to your children is, is something I've also, you know, especially in my family thought a lot about in context of, um, you know, anti-racism work and, uh, social justice. And we've had, um, I have a young 20 something, uh, child living at home right now and we're having a lot of those conversations about what what can you say you did and um it's it's sobering and important and we need that generation to be to be looking at us and asking uh us to walk the talk too so totally we've had so many conversations since the george floyd um murder Mm -hmm. and the uprisings in the streets and um with our crew, with my immediate family, with our extended family. Um, and we've started to extend it out into the larger flowering community and farming community in Maine. There's some great leaders that are um, keeping the conversation going and keeping us all thinking. Um, you know, we've personally been doing a lot of reading mm-hmm. and listening. Um, and we're hoping to have our flowering in the North Conference in the winter, um, have a specific focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Good, good. Um, so we're, we're looking forward to seeing that come together. And obviously that'll be a web-based 
experience, but um, in some ways, maybe that will have the capacity for more inclusion. I'd love to support you on that. You, you, you are, um, you're really the driver behind that flowering in the North conference uh, is or part of you and a few well, other people, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a very strong team. I'm, I'm one of a, it's like a, like a stool with a bunch of legs. Yeah. I'm just one of the legs. Yeah. <laughs> Carolyn Snell, who was our Northeast regional rep um, and Elena Robbins who um, works here with, with us at broad turn and then our cooperative extension um, group uh, from the university, Jason Lilly um, and uh, Matt, um, Matt Wallhead mm-hmm. um, have together the group of us have have put this event on for the last few years. I know I've been wanting to attend. So uh, so you had that conference a couple years in a row, and then for twenty twenty, wasn't it more of a like a retreat or something? It was a slightly different format. Yeah, yeah. So as organizers, I think we were fried. Yeah, with big conference format, and so we just we 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 um, I had been to Stone Barns mm. for a very small, intimate, um, social, uh, agriculture, agriculturalists who are, uh, transitioning to thinking of themselves as social entrepreneurs. It was like a week long program and it was extremely, um, valuable for me and everyone who, who was there has, has only been able to say the most exciting things about that experience. So we, we wanted to try to find a way to take that kind of intimate experience into flowering in the North. So we went to the, furthest you can go in Maine to this uh, uh, Appalachian Mountain Club Lodge called Metawisla. And there were 30 farmers there and you needed to have had a um, couple years under your belt and be at least in a management role in your operation. And um, when we work with Cooperative Extension, we need to prioritize Maine growers, sure. but then we extended it out into the New England and then the Northern Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really fun. We had a great time. It was uh, lots of deep conversation and a lot less about specifics around growing flowers and a lot more about like, how do we keep doing this and how do we stay connected as a community um, and united as a, as a group of colleagues? Hmm. You use the term social entrepreneur. Could you just kind of define that? Because I think that's going to be a, a word for 2021. I, you know, along with many other terms, but, um, I just love to get your, you know, paraphrase of what that really means. Right. Excellent question. So the idea that, um, your business, if it's going to be solvent, it has to make money, but it doesn't have to make money at the expense of people, workers, customers, or at the expense of the planet. Mm -hmm. So can your practices within your business be regenerative and give back? And can your practices with regard to workers and consumers um, provide a product that's clean and healthy and then provide a workspace that is, um, that for your workers feels um, like a valuable way to spend their time Mm -hmm. where they're compensated fairly for the work that they do, where they feel safe when they were at work physically, emotionally, um, and needs are met. Uh, so that's essentially the root of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's basically like a business that has values, right. Right. That, um, that they then live by. Yeah. And you hear that term with, you know, mission driven business is probably, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So now for 2021, the plan is that maybe there'll be more of a conference style, uh, 
structure, but it'll be yeah. virtual. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure if you've had this fun experience yet of being in a Zoom where you do the breakouts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. been doing that with the Slow Flowers uh, virtual meetups. And um, oh, great, great. sometimes they are really uh, excellent and sometimes they're very confusing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I know the tool. So that's how you're going to break out. Yeah. And I think um, the group of us, we it's like, OK, we're going to do this, but we haven't had none of us have had the bandwidth yet to have the next meeting where we start to put it together. It'll happen. So, yeah. Yeah. It'll coming. happen. Give a shout if you need help. Thank you. And you've got to get through the, 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 the election day. So, That's right. oh, Stacy, right. I, I really have enjoyed this conversation and wow, so much going on. Um, thanks for your suggestions on how people can help and support. I hope that uh, a few listeners take you up on that and work the yeah. phones. I mean, from the comfort of your yoga pants on your sofa, you could be right. changing the landscape in a in a district that really needs Stacey Brenner as its senator. Um, yeah, and getting involved in the down ballot races of progressive candidates in your own community and getting you know showing up at those meetings they're not like really interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a meeting where like you're like delighted to be there, but it's the way that the work gets done and it's how we move forward and fill the state house with progressive ideas and progressive capacity. So, right. Um, right. you know, any way you can sign up to, to do the work of, of getting those people into office or keeping them in the office once they're there. Is, I mean, it's the true definition of grassroots politics, really. Yes. It's, it's the, yes. it's the trickle up um, that then gets the, the leadership in the pipeline for larger positions um, yeah. in the future. Wow. You know, if we're going to evaluate police contracts, for example, that all happens from the state legislature. So, you know, if you want that to happen, then you need to put people in there that are willing to do that work. Mm. Wow. Okay. Wow. This has been a good civics lesson. And uh, we talked a little bit about flowers, <laughs> but I have to tell you. I love flowers. <laughs> yeah. No, I had, um, I, yeah, we have a former Slow Flowers member um, in Austin, Texas, who is a past, just recently I had her on the podcast. Um, she is now the, um, only black female member of Austin city council. And when we were, and she's not even in flowers anymore at all, but I wanted to, I wanted to have, um, I wanted to have this conversation about like, what are you doing? How did you move into this? And so I actually mentioned you on the podcast and said, there's sort of this pattern of, of, women from the floral industry moving into politics. And uh, I'll send you a link to that because it was pretty oh, awesome. Thank you yeah, for that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to let you go. I know it's day on the farm and I wish you so much, uh, just, just a, a, a clear path to victory. Um, and uh, I will do a recap and, and uh, maybe after the election and let everybody know what happened. So awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you Big so much. Stacey. You. Yeah, you bet. This has been wonderful. And we'll have, we'll have some, all of Stacy's coordinates and details and maybe some photos from broad turn farm. <laughs> I have some um, uh, to share and we'll, we'll um, let people see those in the show notes at deborahprincing.com. So thank you so all much. Right. Don't forget to vote. Absolutely. That we need to we need to have that be the, the in the headline of this or in the title of this is episode vote for Stacy and everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stacy. Thank you for having me.
Thanks so much for joining me today. I was struck by Stacy's comment, what are you going to tell your kids when they ask, where were you mom when the planet was burning? Am I going to answer, I was watching Netflix and drinking wine? I've got to do something. Well, that hits home. Stacy's strengths rest in her dedication to building meaningful relationships with people in her community. She understands that the first step in creating connection is by listening to the concerns of constituents. She promises what, that when elected, she will collaborate and engage with local community members to help build a strong, inclusive, prosperous Maine. Let's wish Stacy all the success and do check out her campaign website for volunteer opportunities. I'll also share her social places uh, so you can just follow along like me and root her on. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. And speaking of Longfield Gardens, you're invited to join me this coming Friday, October 9th, for our October Slow Flowers member virtual meetup. We started the virtual meetups on a weekly basis during the early days of COVID in late March. After eight consecutive weeks of gathering with our community and hearing from special speakers, which continued through the end of May, we shifted to a monthly meetup schedule, meeting on the second Friday of each month. This week, join me at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Zoom. You can find the link to join in our show notes at deborahprinzing.com. The link is also in our Instagram profile at myslowflowers, which makes it easy to join from your phone if you'd like. The topic is fall bulb planting. And I couldn't be happier that it's nearly time. My special guests include Slowflowers member Alicia Schweedy of Flirty Fleurs and Kath LaLiberté of Longfield Gardens, a Slowflower sponsor. They're doing a fun collaboration, and I know it, it will appeal to growers and designers alike. Bring your bulb selection, planting, and design questions to the community. I've heard that we might be sharing some bulb collections as our giveaways, so you won't want to miss that chance uh, if you join us. And speaking of gifts, did you see the beautiful etched Slow Flowers Society botanical bookmark that we're sending to each of you who responds to our 2021 member survey? You can check out a photo of that in today's show notes, and you can find a link to the survey. I hope you take a moment to click on the survey. We are eager to glean insights and input from you to help shape the coming year's themes and programs for Slow Flowers. All respondents who complete the survey and who share their contact information with us will not only receive the bookmark, but you'll be entered into a drawing for a full registration to the 2021 Slow Flowers Summit valued at $599. It's exciting, and you can find all the details in sh today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 647,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprincing.com. 
Our final sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. And now, all about the giveaway. The 2020 Tilth Conference is produced by Tilth Alliance, comprised of Seattle Tilth, Tilth Producers, and Cascade Harvest Coalition. The theme is Challenging the Status Quo Together. With two days of presentations tailored to farmers, food system professionals, researchers, and educators who have the opportunity to learn from one another and share best practices. I'll be presenting along with some amazing speakers, including keynotes from Chris Newman, co-founder of Sylvan Aqua Farms in Virginia's Chesapeake Watershed. He's a farmer and a member of the Choptico Band of Piscataway Indians. And I'm excited also to hear from Dr. Kathleen Merrigan, former Assistant Secretary of Agriculture in the Obama administration, who I had a chance to meet with a few years ago. She's really fascinating. Check out the program and find more details in today's show notes. To enter our giveaway drawing, please comment in the show notes for episode 474 at deborahprincing.com and tell us the one thing you are doing in your floral enterprise to address climate change. I'll do a drawing of all those who comment this Sunday, October 11th at midnight Pacific time, and we'll announce the winner in next week's episode. The value of uh, this registration is $150. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.